to Robin and Joa Save the World, One Book at a Time, a spoiler-free podcast sponsored by the good folks at Koros Books. That's Koros with a Q. This week, we welcome new sponsors, Connor's Goody Bag, to the podcast. Located in the greater Orlando area, friends, Connor's Goody Bag has all you need for gluten-free and keto-friendly desserts. Oh my goodness, check out the website. They look so delicious. www.connorsgoodybag. That's Connor's with two N's. Friends, if you're battling celiac disease, if you have gluten intolerance, if you're doing keto for the first time or the 20th time, go talk to Laura and Brian at Connor's Goody Bag. Tell them the Robin and Joel podcast sent you. Hey friends, today's chat veers into a heavy subject that may be triggering for some. Um, we discussed, Robin and I, in this episode, we discussed um, violence against women and our chat indirectly goes into the realm of um, rape and abortion and abortion laws. If these are subjects that may be triggering for you or it may be just too hard for your soul at this time, um, it's okay to go ahead and skip this episode and just go into the next one or an oldie but goodie one. No worries. We will see you then. Hello, everyone. I'm Joa. And I'm Robin. Welcome to the Robin and Joa podcast, where today we are going to discuss Ariel Gore's book. Mm. We were witches. We were witches, Joa. We were witches. I'm sure of it. We we were, and we are now, too. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. She has an interesting, this is a fascinating book, and she has an interesting definition, both of witch, witchcraft, and magic. Um, that, that surprised me, but it grew on me a lot. And now I like it. What was it? Kind of the idea that magic isn't just sorcerers and the idea that a lot of what we do as women is magic. Mm -hmm. I'd never thought of it that way before. And I like it a lot. I like it. And I like the idea she lists some spells in here. The spell for instant money got right on that. (laughs) (laughs) I know that's right. Got right on that. Like same day kind of thing. But but also she talks early about, I'll see if I can find the quote. It's earlier in the book. She talks about just regular parts of life can be magic too. Mm -hmm. That just in so many ways, the act of being a woman and being willing to be female and feminine and womanly in the world, just that is a type of magic. Yeah. Because the world doesn't expect us. I, ah, okay. 
Okay. Oh, but let's start with this. Oh, let's start with a little cheery, a little cheery <laughs> quote from the book. <laughs> Everyone, if you're having a bad day, watch, listen to the previous episode. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> this is, uh, we'll just go here for a minute and then we'll move on to cheerier, cheerier land. Don't worry. <laughs> a quote from Ariel Gore's We Were Witches. When damaging hailstorms hammered Germany, 67 women were blamed for the weather and burned alive. Mm -hmm. In 1629 alone, 900 witches were killed around Würzburg, Germany. In the Trier area, two villages were left with just one female inhabitant each. The murdered women couldn't leave us their stories. What feminist historians know comes to us from the court records kept by the persecutors and from the hundreds of witnesses to each witch's public torture and education. Listen up, friends. Listen up. When people tell you women didn't do shit because I didn't read about it in a book, you tell them right back into their eyes, those women didn't have a chance to write the history, did they? Because they mm -hmm. were dead. Mm -hmm. They were abused. They were disempowered. They were busy raising children. <laughs> like yes, they didn't have like, time to sit around with a quill <laughs> and write on some parchment. And they probably also didn't have the money to do it. Yes, yes. Get me on my horse, Joa. I'm up. Jesus. There. No, I mean you're completely right. And this this book is very in your face, and I love it. I, I love that type of writing because it jolts me right out of my comfort zone. And um and she's she's very like F you patriarchy, you know, she's very like, hey, this is our history as women. This is what we go through. And this is how we, we're still persecuted to this day. Uh, when she talks about motherhood and then that, uh, I hope I don't spoil it, that person coming to her door, you know, it, it, I felt that, you know, um, that it's like intimidation 101, you know, just the threat of violence towards women, uh, 101. It, it is, it is horrible. And, but, but then again, it is, it is what a woman goes through every day. And, and because we go through every day, sometimes even for us, right in our heads, we normalize it. Um, mm. or, or sometimes we're desensitized by it because it's just our day to day, um, activities, our day to day life. But I always, so I'm in a male dominated field. So I, it, for me, it's, it's, I, don't, I don't normalize it so much because I, I see their side and how normal, I'm doing air quotes, is here. They can go on a run at night and not feel like something may happen to them. I don't do runs at night. I don't do runs early in the morning before the sun comes up, um, you know, by myself, just because anyone can, can, uh, threaten me, you know, snatch me up and, and, and do horrible things, violent things to me. Um, but when you're a man, just that, you know, me talking to my male counterparts, you know, <clears throat> on, on bliss by and, and them telling me, Hey, oh yeah, before we start, you know, our first formation, I go on a run or I do this or I do that. I'm like, I have a gym at the house. Uh, so that way I can get my workout on in the safety of my home because you know for us sometimes it's not it's not the safest thing to do that um yes. outside you know but and it always it jars me every time i hear how comfortable they are doing certain day-to-day -day things that for me automatically they're unsafe i wouldn't do it absolutely 
Absolutely. Just the first time, this is such a sad example, but the first time I played Stardew Valley and I had to rush home from the mines before midnight or no, before 2 a.m. So I wouldn't die. And it was dark. And I was like, oh, God, now I'm going to (laughs) die. That's a character. That's a terrible example. Forget that. Moving on. Yeah. You know, Ariel Gore talks about uh, being at a university class and the teacher asks the class, who here has been a victim of violence? And veritably everyone, everyone raises their hand and she doesn't raise her hand because Ariel Gore is processing the question. Mm -hmm. And the teacher calls on her and says, you haven't been a a victim of violence. And she's flustered. And she says, well, just a normal amount of violence. (laughs) Yeah. I felt that. I felt that. Yeah. I felt that. Friends, especially if you're a man listening, tune in, tune in, listen up. When women are together, they talk about the various and numerous occasions men have inflicted violence and sexual assault upon them. (gasps) We're going to need a trigger warning. Yes, (laughs) Yes, yes, we are. Yeah. Okay. We'll need a trigger warning. Friends, I... The first time I told my husband that, he couldn't believe it. He didn't understand it. He couldn't process it. He couldn't imagine it. But then he was with me when I discovered that another man's unwanted touch of my body, my personal space, constituted sexual assault. I did not know that. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. And when I learned that, (laughs) as a very old woman, by the way, uh, I was even more shocked because then my count grew, if you will, of violence and assault and things like that. Um, Friends, just a normal amount of violence is the reality of every woman's life. And when I turned to my husband after discovering that the unwanted touch was an assault, I asked him specifically, what is your count? What is your list? How many times have these things happened to you? He couldn't think of one. Yeah. yeah. Not one. See, and that's, that's normal. That, that, that right there is, is why this book is so important and, and, and why it's so important to, to listen to, to women, you know, when they say this happened and not just listen to them, but to believe them as opposed to attack them or question them or, or try to verify what they're saying, you know, or say, no, it didn't happen because, um, it is so important to believe women, uh, when they say, Hey, somebody did this to me because the, the, the normality of our world as, as, as women is just that, that we either have just the normal amount of violence inflicted on us, or we have the abnormal amount of violence. Um, that's it. it. It isn't that we don't have any or we do is we either have just a normal bit or we have a lot of it um, happen. Yeah. We don't we don't go we don't go unscathed in this yeah. in this world, you know, because we, we don't have that freedom um, as as our male counterparts do. They have that freedom to do more. They have that that bit of peace, I should say, because uh, with with freedom comes that peace. 
um, because now you're in power, right? You know that you can do this and, and, and no one will question it. No one will stop you from doing it. No one will intimidate you or inflict violence um, because you're out in the world doing normal um, human stuff. Yeah. I have a policy. Uh, I think that women who come forward with their stories risk so much. Mm-hmm. They risk everything, everything. And so if a woman comes forward with a story, she's correct. She's right. I believe her every time I don't have any questions mm-hmm. about the veracity of her story because she's risked so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a statistic that says that less than one one hundredth of a percent of women ever come forward confronting and naming their abuser attacker insert. Uh, And I believe that because there are such consequences for women, you know, there are such consequences, both personally, professionally in every way. Yeah. It's a stigma too. Yep, exactly. So women are always correct. Always right. If someone is brave enough to voice that, I have only support and tremendous respect for her. Tremendous mm-hmm. respect. You don't I know mean, how I, many. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I didn't even have the knowledge that something wrong had occurred. Yeah. Think no, about same that. here. Same here. And they have both the knowledge and the courage to come forward with it. Like that's a world apart from me, right? They have, uh, that is impressive, I think. So mm-hmm, much respect. Mm-hmm. And you don't know, like I was going to say, you don't know how many conversations I have had um, when someone asks, why is she coming forward now? Or she's just, excuse me, she's Mm -hmm. just doing it because the person is insert famous or wealthy um, here or something like that. And, and um, of course, people that that say those comments, right, or that have those questions are males that, that usually doesn't come from a, from a female, from a woman perspective. And, um, and when I have these conversations, I explain to that person that, first of all, there's a trauma there, and there's no timeline on how people process that trauma. There's also embarrassment. There's also guilt, you know, and a plethora of other feelings and emotions that can prevent that person from coming forward, you know, um, and acknowledging what happened. Because once you acknowledge that happened, you that hurt comes all over again. And you're reprocessing that all over again. And um, and I don't think people realize that. And sometimes processing things may take years, may take weeks. Who knows? It's really up to that person, you know, how they do it. And um, and everybody has a different timeline. But that's why my my policy like yours is just to believe them. Because that's that's really what we can do. I believe you you know, and allow that person to come forward. Because when that person comes forward, somebody else will come forward as well. Mm-hmm. And then we're, we're able now to make it okay. First, we want to make it okay for people to to say someone attacked me, someone violated me, you know, so forth. We want to make that okay, because not making it okay. Now we're having a problem that we can't even see. And how can we fix a problem if we don't even know it's there? Right. So the mm-hmm. first step is just to normalize it and to believe them. And we, we're not there yet. I know in American culture, we're not there yet. Hopefully we will get there eventually. Mm. Joe is so much more eloquent about this than I am, but onward ho, I will continue. <laughs> you are, you are. And that's, that's great. A wonderful thing that I like that I see recently 
is the trend toward more truth-telling by women. And I like this a lot. Jamila, the wonderful Jamila Jamil said that uh, she doesn't go running at night because there are so many scary men out there. She's putting mm-hmm. that in her stories. She's putting that in her social media. We need to have that level of a direct conversation. We need to start addressing the problem. And the problem is not what somebody wears. And the problem is not makeup. And the problem is not, did you wear your fancy panties or your brandy panties? (laughs) Which, um, oh, God. mm -hmm, Yes. That is some crazy stuff that has gone on in courts across the world that needs to be squashed right now. Mm -hmm. You know, we need to tell our stories and we need to help each other tell our stories. The greatest supporters of women are and have always been women. We know that the lie that women don't like each other and fight against each other and don't support each other. Men made up that story and men continue that story. That is not (laughs) any of my life experience, friends. I am 227 years old and I am telling you without women, I would not be here today. Fact. Same. Without women, I could not function at any capacity. Fact. Women have saved my life in every way, spiritually, mentally, physically, no doubts. I mean, there is no question. No man <laughs> kept me going. I don't know that really any man has truly contributed to my survival. Check that out. Write that down. Hey. And ask yourself, ask yourself, what really make a little pros and cons, pluses and minuses. Think about men in your own life. Think about it. Think about it. Think about it. And tell your own truth, whatever your truth is. Your truth is probably very different from mine. I am probably two full generations older than you. That's okay that my experience <laughs> is different. Maybe That's more. Okay. Everybody's Actually, experiences are valid, though. So a, yeah. we're not a, discounting a, anyone. Yeah. But tell your truth. Know your truth. Own your truth. Be proud of your truth. And tell your truth. Because, Joa, that's what I think the main message of this book is. The mm-hmm. main message of this book is decentering a conversation that has been so masculinized mm-hmm. that it's I mean, there are words, <laughs> there are words and expressions that we use all the time. I don't understand. <laughs> I don't care about a Hail Mary and hitting it out of the park. And oh, yeah. <laughs> also, sports, I, please. <laughs> I don't understand the hysteria about sports. I'm glad you have a hobby, but I don't go around <laughs> going, writing, verbs. Uh, yeah, don't yeah. Don't be so hysterical. <laughs> Sit down and be quiet. <laughs> anyway. That's maybe what we need to start saying to men is sit down and be quiet because we've heard enough of your stories. Like the wise Kendrick Lamar said, sit down, be humble. Yes. <laughs> so when my children, who you know I can't say much about because I am prohibited by <laughs> by threat and law, and my children are passionate about this. Uh, when we were when they were young, I used to tell them about man's tales. So we didn't say like history or herstory. We said man's tales because much of the his all of the history that we learn and especially what's taught in school is a construction, right? Mm-hmm. It's a story. It's a story as much as any fiction book ever written. And it's a story written from a point of privilege. Mm-hmm. And we know that. We don't have to even interrogate that. We know that. How do we know that? Who else had the time? 
opportunity, freedom, and money to write that story. Mm -hmm. Who? A white man. Only Mm -hmm. a white man. So we look back at the story. We can learn that history. Okay. Now let's ask some questions. Yeah. Question it. Who was cooking the dinner while he was writing the story? Mm -hmm. Who was tending the children while he was writing the story? So often, I'm going to circle back around here to motherhood because it's a main point of Ariel Gores. Yeah. You know, we see these politicians, right? Especially in the English-speaking world. And they will trot out their family for a campaign, won't they? And those children will be spit-polished and have their little hairdo on and be so cute, smiling for the camera. (laughs) How much time has that man spent with those children Don't that he's trotting started. out as his possessions? Yes, yes. I can hmm. tell you, probably none or very little. Or very little. I mean, if they get like one Sunday dinner a week, they're probably mm-hmm. doing pretty good, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. He's going to take a lot of credit for those possessions, his mm-hmm. family that he possesses. Mm-hmm. Mm. Just changing out a diaper nowadays when a man does it gives him an award, you know, like it's something outstanding or something like that. Not just their duty as a freaking parent, you know. So motherhood <sighs> is like the biggest of sins, isn't it? Oh, my God. You look like a mom. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. Look, you talk like a chongos, mom. You know, when you have your hair up and <laughs> in a messy bun, that's like yes. a mom look because that's all that you have mm-hmm. time to do. You know? Mom jeans. Yeah. Mom jeans. And they're in style now, by the way. Hey. Go figure. Yeah. And the mom sneakers and, you know, the messy hair and then sometimes the stained shirt and, and so forth, so yeah. forth. Because you have so little time. And like Why? you said, but that man next to that woman, I bet you he has time. To he has time. His, he has yeah. all the time in the world. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't we have more compassion and respect exactly for moms? It's a real question exactly. I have. Why, do, why don't we give them that grace, you know? And, and why do we... Because this is this is something that irks me, right? When um, people, and I hear this a lot, right, in the community that I'm in, oh, she's just a stay at home. Like just, just, and, and you know, that wording and people don't understand how, how important words are sometimes. They just, they just, it just comes out of their mouth without a, a train of thought behind it. And just that when they say just, I'm like, that's a big deal. Everything that you do staying at home, that's a whole job, sometimes two to three jobs. My husband knows all about it because he's the stay at home person here in our household. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. is that is a complete job. And, and, and even more so cooking, cleaning, doing laundry, um, doing outside work, yard work and all of that, you know, taking care of kids. He take care of our fur family, you know, which is not as intense as taking care of human children. You know, but imagine if we had humans. Because you've got those two. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's sometimes he's not even done by the time I come home. Um, You know, and and even from him, he sometimes he tells me, he's like, oh, I'm just staying at home. I got all the time. I was like, no, babe. I remind him. I was like, that's a whole job. You know, you're doing a whole Mm -hmm. job. And I remember when I was single doing that whole job and raising Mm -hmm. my son too. No, that's exhausting. And I wish we would appreciate moms that way. And I wish we will acknowledge their job, you know, and compensate them for that. That's a whole job, Robin. 
for me, you know, you go to work, you have set work hours, you talk to adults, there are clean bathrooms that you didn't clean. Yeah. You're even allowed to, <laughs> you're allowed to go out to lunch without finding a babysitter. Yeah. I mean, like you have vacation time. Yeah. You can make plans. It's so easy. My husband once talked about this, how simple it is going to work and having yeah. a day job and how like there was a time when I was sick and he had to parent and uh, do a day job and do everything essentially, essentially. And my goodness gracious. <laughs> right. <laughs> you can't. It's like, there's so much to do. Mm-hmm. It, it, Not enough so hours much. in the day. No. And there are no days off and there are no mm-hmm. nights off. And mm-hmm. some nights, a lot of nights there's no sleep. Yeah. If your kids don't sleep, you don't sleep, you don't sleep. boys and girls. That's mm-hmm. how it is. So I, I think personally in my life, one of my things as an older person who wants to leave the world, very much wants to leave the world a better place than I found it, that I am committed to that, Joe, committed. One thing I would like to do is stop the romantic- romanticization of having children and raising children. Mm-hmm. I'd like to spread the reality of that, what it entails. It is very honorable. It is very noble, but it is a very, very difficult job. And people mm-hmm. should know that it's, mm-hmm. it's very hard and it's very ruthless. It's ruthless in the way that you don't get days off. You don't get time off mm-hmm. and you have to kind of put a little part of yourself on hold while you're raising yes. children. That's a fact. And it's not that- appreciated, but uh, uh, or respected. Some, or respected sometimes by your own family, you know, and um, 100%. Yeah, media and um, don't get me started on the politicians and just the, the word uh, welfare queens and, you know, just the degrading things that are, are being splashed everywhere when it comes to moms and, and, and moms that are in a, in a, uh, not a normalized structure, you know, family structure, maybe two moms, right? Or maybe just mm-hmm. one mom. Or maybe a, a community of moms trying to come together, you know, and take care of the children that they all have. Yeah. And and those things are, are more demonized than, than anything else because they're not like the nuclear family structure, right, that um, politicians here in America like to really toot and, and you know, act like it's holier than thou. And, um, and that worries me. That bothers me a lot because these are the communities that need the most help. And when you call them welfare queens or you or you demonize them for getting aid and getting assistance, you know, that tells me everything I need to know about that person. That means you really don't care about children. You really don't care about humanity. Um, You just you care about yourself and money and money. Capitalism. Yes. That motherhood is not valued Mm -hmm. is because it doesn't generate cash. Mm -hmm. It, you're right. Yeah. It doesn't generate cash. Yeah. So that, that whole thing about, uh, what is it? Caring for life or mm-hmm. the life or whatnot. I don't buy it. Not one bit Mm-mm. because, because no. if they did, and I'm, I'm talking about America and I know, cause we have some European listeners. Um, when, mm-hmm. when people say that, you know, about the life and the heartbeat and all of that. Yeah. That's not true. You just no. care about the control. 
It's convenient. Yes, it's convenient. Because if you really care about that human, you will open up more assistance for that human. When that human grows up, you'll make sure that education is up to par in Mm -hmm. um, the neighborhoods that need it the most when that human grows up, you know, and then you'll make sure that that human is able to have a living wage, you know, that those parents of that human are able to have a, a living wage. So that way they can provide for that human a little better with dignity and respect. Amen. Um, oh, you know, amen. Don't get me started because I agree. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I agree. I could not agree more heartily. I just want to give a little example. Perhaps, friends, some of you haven't yet parented or are thinking about parenting. I just want to tell you a, a little truth and then live your life, live your best life, make your best decisions, be you, be all of you, shine brightly. So when I was a parent... We did move around a bit, and that's a fine thing that occurs. Some of us just have those kind of lives, right, for different jobs, different things. That's fine. So in moving around a bit, I didn't have a steady babysitter who could watch my little precious children. In life, you must know this about me. I was very hungry to have children from a very young age. Parenting and and having family was very, very important to me. So here's what I did, kids. Get ready, buckle up, brace yourself. I left my children, my many little, my little brood of children (laughs) with babysitters. Dun, dun, dun. Twice, twice, twice. Which means that I had two afternoons off. In all the years of raising all my children, when I was sick, I was a parent. Mm -hmm. When I was tired, I was a parent. When one child was sick and one child was healthy and full of energy, I had to be a parent. My husband was at work. That was our decision. Those are my consequences. I own that. That's all me. That's fine. That has nothing to do with you. But be very aware as you decide what you want your life to look like, as you make decisions for yourself, should you have children and be of the female gender, those children will be your responsibility. Mm -hmm. And there won't be as much help offered as you might anticipate or hope. Yes. Even from from your family. Mm -hmm. This Mm -hmm. is true. This is true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and know that going in, know that going in. Yes. I think you have to be realistic when it comes to, to embarking on this journey, this, this journey, if, if you want to become a parent, however it is that you decide to become a parent, there's many avenues. Um, it, it's, it will change your entire life. It will, your, your, your trajectory will, will automatically change once you make that decision and you're fruitful in that decision. And, and then I, I've noticed from my experiences that you have to, like you said, Robin, you have to pause or give up a little bit of yourself because you automatically now you have this um, small human that is completely dependent on you. And um, and if you do certain life choices, it affects that person. It affects that small human, uh, whether you believe it or whether you like it or not, it does because you are tethered for life with this, with this little human. So it is, and like you, I wish 
this will be more realistic when the media portrays it. And I think we, we starting to see a little bit of that change, right? Um, I can think of Bad Moms as, as one of those um, movies that is a little bit more realistic about the whole aspect of parenting um, with a little human involved in there. Uh, and I wish there was more like that, that really tell people, hey, when you make this decision, when you embark on this journey, it's not going to be it's not going to be fun all the time. Although it is you, you will have many rewarding moments, uh, but it will take sacrifice. And like you said, you you don't have days off as, as a mom. You you are a mom full time, 24 seven, every day, all day, twice on Sundays. So, Yeah. Think about that. <laughs> Think about it, prepare for it, plan for it, make good decisions. Yeah. 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 And for people who, you know, sometimes things happen in life and we've all been there too. And sometimes pregnancy happens mm -hmm. and it wasn't on your schedule and it just happens. And that's, that's part of life. Friends. <sighs> How do these women get pregnant on their own, Joa? How does it happen so often? <laughs> it's a miracle. I know, right? You know, the 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 whole burden, right? All of a sudden it's like ah, the Virgin Mary comes to comes to hey. so much immaculate conception <laughs> in the world. going on, right? I didn't know. <laughs> my husband once said, this is a pet peeve of my husband's. <laughs> which is interesting. My husband once said that perhaps advances in DNA and DNA research will help end this problem because there won't be any more, uh, you know, disappearing dad, right? Uh-huh. Like, uh -huh. We know who you are. We have your sequence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. We know you and, but you can't force people into a role. Can you? I mean, see, and this is what irks me. So it's like the womb is carried by the woman, right? So um, so when we're talking about be becoming a parent in that way, right, in that aspect, right, um, it, it's so easy for the man to walk away, right? Mm -hmm. but, mm -hmm. but the woman, it, like for lack of better words, is stuck like Chuck, you know? And, and then it's almost like the burden is fully on her. And then on top of that, what irks me is that the people making laws, right, are mostly men forcing mm -hmm. that that person with the womb to to make a decision that maybe they don't want to make. You know, maybe they right. change their minds. Maybe they're not ready. You know, maybe something happened, you know, in their lives. And that's what irks me. But then but we don't usually force fathers into that role. It's easy for them to either a send a check, right, of child support and not see that that small human or or simply just walk away to never be found. You know, and they can make a family, you know, all over the world, right? You know, but um and, and things of that nature, but then the the woman is stuck like Chuck whether she wants to or not. And then it's just that irks me. Well, should she choose to uh, endure the pregnancy? Yes. 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 And th the way some laws are being made, especially here in Texas, I mean, the woman may need to go to another state, you know, if, if she doesn't want to, if she's not ready for that. You see what I'm saying? So that right there, it's, it's a problem. My question is, 
what are we doing as women to support men not being responsible? As a mother, what am I giving to my son to make him think that he can do whatever he wants to whoever he wants without any consequence? What am I doing? And what can I do differently today, right now in my life? Great question. Do I talk to my son about his relationships? Yes. Do I tell my son I have expectations? Do I discuss those expectations? Do I have consequences when he's small? Or do I say, boys will be boys Ah! after all? You hit it right on the head. There you go. That's it right there. That is it right there. When my daughters were small, I found myself telling them to sit properly. What? What? Put your knees together, sit like a lady. (gasps) I said those words. I am guilty. But I caught myself and realized that was internalized misogyny. Mm -hmm. I was part of the problem. I was the problem. I was the problem. Friends, for a system to continue, it needs a lot of support for a crazy system to continue, (laughs) such as misogyny. It needs a tremendous amount of support. Look in the mirror. We are the problem. It's very nice and very cute to go, men are bad. But guess what? Yeah, what they role are have, we playing? Yeah. They might have bad ideas, but we enforce them. Mm-hmm. We said, who raises the children, friends? We said that on this podcast, in this discussion, who raises the children? It's women. Mm-hmm. We have to change. Yeah, we have to change the message. We have to... I think hold them accountable the same way that we hold um, our our little girls accountable, and that's that's something that that hits me and that I've seen. So all I have organically, I always say this: organically, I only have a boy, right? But with with my husband um, and myself, we have five kids total, a mixture of boys and girls, and some are already college age, and and some are are young. And these are conversations that I have with my husband often because we are learning. We are learning. And we come from a generation and we come from a, from a culture that the, the patriarchy is still very heavy. And this is a recent conversation I had with my husband about uh, the patriarchy as well. And, um, and I call him out sometimes when I see that the, the boy, boys are being treated differently than the girls. And, um, and I make sure to 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 say those things. Hey, we need to treat them the same way. If we're if we're cuddling our little girls because you know they're so delicate and so forth, I was like, uh, the boys as well need that same kind of uh, nourishment and, and cuddle, you know, and and hugs and kisses and all of that um, because that's something that I see in the in the Hispanic culture, which is the culture that I I'm in, is that sometimes we we withdraw affection 
from the boys because they have to be tough. They have to be manly or, or we tell them to suck it up and not to cry. And, um, and that is wrong. Uh, because we all feel as human beings, we all feel the same emotions, regardless of our gender or our sex, uh, we feel the same emotions. Um, we, we want to cry, we should be able to cry. We feel anger, we should be able to express it, um, but express it in a way that is not hurtful to other people or to ourselves, you know, and that comes from that nourishment that children get from their parents or parental figures. Cause I was raised by my grandma, not necessarily by my mom or dad. So, so yeah, that's big. And you hit it right on the head. It comes from the parental figures, you know, that change because we're racing the next generation. We also have to provide language mm -hmm. for talking about our experiences. Women, we have to talk about our experiences. We have to speak honestly. And that starts at home. We have to tell our children what we have experienced, mm -hmm. honestly and fully and completely. And they need to know that there's that there's a price that we've paid for that, that it's not just nothing, that women aren't just objects there when you want them and only when you want them. This is true. Mm -hmm. Hon honesty, honesty with children as well. That is big. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it really is. Don't you notice sometimes we want to hide certain things from children? Yes. And I'm not saying that we need to traumatize it and use, we have to use appropriate, age appropriate language, you know, don't get me wrong. Um, but we have to be honest and upfront and, and have like in the army, we call it a common operating picture. We have to be transparent, right. Uh, with our, our children in, in the society that we're living and, um, and how biases they may see biases and how they may see, um, violence and microaggressions and so forth, um, depending on the different roles that they embark on, whether they are uh, male, female, whether uh, people of color, black, indigenous, and so forth, you know, we have to be honest with them. So that way they have the right words to identify it, right? And they're able to feel safe to come to their parental figures or people that they love and express to them what is happening, what they have um, seen what they've witnessed happen and, um, and have those conversations because I believe with those conversations and truth telling and being honest and transparent, we're going to be able to learn and we're going to be able to push this society in, in a more positive direction, um, than it is right now. That's what I'm here for. I'm not kidding. Yeah. That is really my goal. My goal is to leave the world a better place than I found it and to, and to speak the truth and to speak the truth with as much love and kindness as mm -hmm. I can possibly, possibly share. Yes. Friends, this has been a heavy episode, but we love you. We yeah. respect your journey. We'd like to hear from you. Send us a message. Let us know what you think about this. Feel free to disagree. We're here for you. But now it's time for Joe and I to save the world. One book at a time. Bye-bye. Bye.